what are you diving? Hope comes and stops us in our tracks. Bravely we prove in our striving, trudging together each day. Where there's a will, there's a way. Hey everyone, and welcome to today's session of Raw Recovery with Dion. Uh, today I have a friend on that I met back in November while I was going through peace. I was going through training um, to become a recovery coach, and we got to spend a lot of time together during the week and uh, do some role playing, which was fairly uncomfortable. But we, you know, we got to know each other, um, and uh, we've been able to talk since November, but not really sit down and talk. So I'm really looking forward to. Um, hearing Gabe's story because I haven't been able to hear the full story, just little bits and pieces, which is just kind of been kind of like the carrot in front of the horse. So, um, Gabe, thanks for coming on. Thanks for being a part. Uh, willing to tell your story. Welcome to the show. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure, Dion. Always. And and yeah, I, I felt that um, that same connection when we were doing the C car training. First time I ever did anything like that and it uh -huh. was uh it was therapeutic in itself and now i'm recommending it to to some of my highly functional it, and motivated it, it, clients. Was, it was the first thing that i did after all my anxiety stuff so last november i decided i'm gonna get out of the house and i'm gonna go in front of other people and get out of this anxiety that i'm going through and take a chance oh, and wow. what you yeah I know a lot of people didn't know I was going through that, but the group made good me feel you. wanted and it felt good. So that's why oh. I feel like, you know, I feel an emotional, there's an emotional attachment for me, for people in that class, whether I see them again or not, or whether we get along or not, I still have that emotional gratitude, I guess you would say. So when I see sure. you guys, it brings me back to that, hey, you know, when you utilize a group of people to help you overcome something, it's just a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a special thing. That's that's really interesting that you said that. I remember you had mentioned something uh, about some of the things that you were going through. Um, but yeah, like you said in the introduction, we, we spent some time together, but it was topic specific for the training. Mm -hmm. And um, we heard a little some tidbits about each other. So that's interesting to learn. I'm glad I, I'm honored and humbled to have been part of that experience with Thank you. Thank you, Gabe. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And likewise, it was a very special time for me because um, it was all new. The the language and, and mm -hmm. recovery coaching kind of concept that there's different pathways to recovery and the different people that were in that room that day. So, yeah, it's a very it was a significant training in my life as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really taught me that, you know, because I'm an AA -er for life, you know. But there's yeah, more than but there's that. more than one way, and there's more to recovery than just sitting in the rooms. Um, and even there's even beyond just going out and helping people. It it even goes beyond that. It's education. It's prevention. It's you know we do a lot of different things. So, yeah. but I'm really interested really... to hear what happened. So, where did you grow up at? Because I hear yeah. the accent. <laughs> yeah. It. Um... It's funny because when I go back back home to New York, so there's that there's that answer. But uh -huh. uh, they say I have a Midwestern accent now. Okay. I don't. I don't because I I guess I say you all now and then I'll say you all. Or, <laughs> but um, but I still but out here in Colorado I'll say you know going down to the water from my father. Yeah. You know, say, Where are, you? are you from back east? So. But yeah, man, I grew up on Long Island. Um, okay. About forty five. 45, 50 minutes outside of, of Manhattan. Um, you know, suburbia, middle class. My parents were not alcoholics, not drug right. addicts. Um, but I had, I had siblings that were partying that were, they were older than me, but um, kind of grew up like finding my sister's weed and, and uh, yeah. you know, I had this brother, a half brother that lived in Florida and he'd only come up like 
every couple of years, you know. So okay. I just remember when I he's ten years older than me too. So uh, I just okay. remember being <laughs> yeah, I was like six or seven. Yeah, the cool old and, and my dad, you know, sold insurance and wore a suit every day and okay. you know, very, very uh uh you know, grew up he's he was forty years older than me, so he, he was okay. born in the thirties, you know. So uh and here comes this guy wow. with like muscles and driving a Chevelle with big tires on the back and gold yeah. chains, you know, and I was like, Oh, that's my, you know, that's my brother, you know, and, and, uh, <laughs> but they were in the party and, you know, and I wanted to be just like him, you know? So, uh, but in my house, you know, uh, just a quick little background. My, I come from, I grew up in a Jewish household, okay. reformed Judaism. We didn't go to temple, but, um, you know, we celebrated the holidays very, laid back you know got together with another jewish family that okay. were friends with my parents uh but all my grandparents were holocaust survivors wow and um my grandmother was pretty traumatized and I, my mother i didn't know all this until i was i knew they were holocaust survivors but i didn't know that my mom uh had anxiety disorder and okay. that for a couple years my grandmother had to come up and take care of me because my mom was too sick. Um, there was some medication that she needed um, that wasn't approved at the time by the FDA. And, and um, but when I was probably in third or fourth grade, they got her straightened out on her meds. Okay. Um, so like there wasn't alcohol or, or, you know, physical abuse or drug addiction, but there was, it was I just remember like my house was, I just remember calling it weird. It was just kind of, it my mom would be, I'd cut my knee and my mom would be crying and I'd be consoling her. Yeah. Like she, you know, and I was taking care of her a lot, but didn't understand why. Okay. Know? And so I grew, you know, so it was a pretty decent childhood, safe neighborhood, you know, and, and my, like I said, my father sold insurance for Prudential and, you know, basically had all my basic needs, but I started smoking pot when I was about 13. Okay. And um, there was a, a, a person in my neighborhood that I looked up to that reminded me a lot of my brother that I didn't okay. see very often. And, you know, he had the new Corvette and, mm. you know, um, he was a big guy, muscle guy like my brother. And I and wanted he to had like what that. you wanted. And, yep. Yeah. And, and then I found out that um, he had that fancy sports car and that race boat and all those toys. He was only about 24 uh -huh. uh, was because he was selling cocaine. Yep. And so then another friend in my neighborhood started selling cocaine and I tried it when I was 15 oh, and fell oh. in love with it. Yep. And then, um, I learned how to make money selling it. Uh, and that same year I got arrested. We were just messing around. Uh, it was with a, one of those pump air rifles. Okay. Um, but we were on my friend's roof and um, we shot a guy mm -hmm. uh, that was driving. We were shooting. We were trying to shoot the sides of trucks that were going by. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I was walking home, and all of a sudden there was a helicopter flying overhead, and the SWAT oh, team. Was, shit! They were they had dogs, and and I was like, "What's going on?" They, they said, "There's a sniper in the woods, man." Oh my god! Up there shooting cars, and I'm like, "Wow, that's crazy." Me and my friend were just had the BB gun out, you know, and yeah. So um, so that was my first kind of taste with the law yeah my friend were just bragging about it the next day in school like, i'm sure like, you were yeah like kids you know and Ooh. just not thinking anybody would tell on us right well the next day there oh, were detectives yeah. detectives in my living room mm. they just needed to tell the media that that it was two kids with a pellet gun not a yeah. sniper trying to kill people so. so but you know my mom uh was pretty shameful it was in the newspapers i was a juvenile so it wasn't made public but okay it really like estranged us and I just, it kind of gave me that, you know, oh, I was arrested and I'm selling cocaine and I was rolling with, with, you know, older people. Yeah. And, um, and I kind of, it went right to my head, Dion, just to be, you know, yeah. to keep it real, like 15 year old kid and 
Um, and you I were the shit, man. And, you yeah. know, some of the older jocks, it was like, it was like, dude, if you put your hands on me, you're done. Cause you yeah. know who I'm friends with, you know? And, yeah. And that's and power, like, man. That is, that's power. You know, when you're a kid and then Scarface came out, you know, <laughs> in the eighties, man. Right. So this is, we're talking like 1984, 85, yeah. 86. And, um, and then, and then, uh, that was kind of the era of John Gotti, you know, in, in, uh, yep. in story of, Ozone Park in Queens, and um, I got a I got I got a job at Gold's Gym when I was eighteen. I dropped out of high school. I was renting a house, selling coke, okay. at the Crocs Rocket, and and um, you know my Mister T starter kit, like three gold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Oh no, the I hope you, you know, have old pictures we, of that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, yeah, I'm scared to bust them out. And, yeah. and, uh, but you know, when you're 17 and you got a thousand dollars in your pocket, you think, you know, I thought I was, I was Scarface and, yeah. and, uh, I started selling, I hooked up with uh, some people. I started working at a gold's gym and I started taking steroids when I was 18 and then I started smoking crack. And then, um, I was going in Queens, uh, Jamaica, Queens, Ozone Park. And I was selling like $500 silk dresses out of the back of my car Wow! Um, that may or may not have fallen off the backs of trucks going to Bloomingdale's or Macy's. Certainly. You know I mean? Yeah. And um, I was just, and especially, and that's when I started, that's when I started smoking crack and things, things were getting bad. Um, I stole my dad's car. I owed people oh. money. I started yep. robbing drug dealers. Um, uh, you know, just everything that comes with being a, a, a junkie, a crackhead, you know, and, and, um, I, I dropped, I had dropped out of high school. I tried to join the, I tried to escape. There's a couple drug dealers, you know, it was looking, Yeah. I was getting myself in wrecks, man. Yeah. And so I tried to join the army Okay. And, and I failed the drug test. That didn't work. I um, failed the psychological test. So. <laughs> <laughs> You can't do cocaine the night before going into. No, you can't. Right? They might. They'll probably figure it out. <laughs> so probably wasn't in the cards, but uh, so I I've got a, a a wonderful uncle, wonderful uncle, mentor of mine still to this day. Always been in my corner. Love him so much. Um, and he's in Denver, Colorado. Okay. He, he said um, he heard what was going on, and he said, if you pack a duffel bag. Would you get on a plane today? If I'll, I'll buy you a one-way ticket, but I got a friend that's in Narcotics Anonymous. You got to go to meetings every day. You got to mm -hmm. stay sober. You got to get a job. And if you relapse, you're out on your own. I'm not flying you back home, but I'll buy you a ticket and you can stay at my house, but you got to stay sober. And my buddy will come by every day and pick you up. And, uh, and by the way, I, sh I should back up. Okay. That was, that was after... My parents had sent me to a six-week inpatient program okay. in, in Pennsylvania All because right. I told them once I couldn't get in the army, yeah. um, I was scared. I owed thousands of dollars, and I didn't How know. How many people were after you? Well, they weren't exactly, like, after me, but okay. it, was, it was more like... Um, but if they saw you, they'd be wanting their money. Yeah, and and, like, real... Like people I was running with were selling guns and we were, uh, you know, collecting, collecting money from uh, illegal gambling houses. Okay. And when I say collecting, we could have been robbing them and I didn't know about it. I mean, I sure. just kind of was along for the ride. Like sure. I was getting into some dangerous, heavy, okay. stupid stuff. So you're stuff putting yourself in really bad situations yeah and they use you know they'll they'll use people like that you know certainly you're, you're just you're just uh you know whether you live or die they don't care they're just mm -mm. all about getting paid right yep manipulation I, I, sure. I started getting yeah i started getting scared and um you know just to keep it real i was scared and and i didn't know Heck how yeah. i was gonna get out of it so i went to rehab i came back i tried to make things i made things right with people but then cool. i got back on crack Okay. And that's when that's when I was running into the city and and, and um, running with some heavy people yep. and, and really probably way in over my head and didn't realize it. But my uncle saw it. 
Like, okay. I don't think I'd be here today if I didn't come to Colorado. Yeah. Now, because I kind of see it, do you, do you feel like after you got out of treatment and you went back, do you feel like you just went hog wild at that point? Like it was just ride or fucking die or something? Well, once, yeah, yeah. Once, like once I had that initial relapse, um, I just, I felt like I was out of options. So what did I have to okay. lose? Fantastic. Like my parents oh, are cool. not going to take me back in. Yep. That program, I mean, back then, you know, I mean, now programs, you know, are up to $100,000. But back then, 50 grand yeah. was a lot. You know, 1989. Yeah. You know, so my parents so you had were, had it with me. So you and were, so, what, 19, 20 years old? Yeah, I was, okay. I was 89. I was like, I was going to be, yeah, I was 19 that year. Okay. And, and um, Because we're the same age, so. Okay, yeah, yeah. Cool. So, so you um, got out to Denver. So, yeah, I got out to Denver. There was, um, you might be familiar with it, Dion. There was a, yeah. an a, uh, NA clubhouse behind 7-Eleven off of, I think it was 3rd and Broadway. I don't remember it. Yeah, but I'm not an NA. I'm, I don't know where all the NA meetings are either. Okay, so. I mean that's it's just it's significant in my mind because I was out there at that time. But okay, um, yeah, and I it's it was it was an interesting story. I got a sponsor that actually lived. My uncle lived in Englewood. Okay, and so I met a guy in there that just lived a couple houses down from my uncle, plus my uncle's friend who was driving me, okay. and um. I stayed clean for six weeks. Remember, I'm 19 years old. That's a long time. Yeah, I got a clean slate, right? Nobody knows me. Um, I'm living in a nice nice house, you know, with my uncle, my aunt, my cousins yep. that were younger than me. They took me in. They were very gracious. Um, I got a job at, at uh, Greenwood Athletic Center in oh. DC. Uh where my uncle, where my aunt and uncle were members, and you know, because I had the health club kind of background. Yeah. And and so I started working there, met a girl, went to a party, and and it was downtown Denver. I don't remember what street, but somehow <laughs> I discovered East Colfax that night. Uh oh. And so I got drunk, and I found uh, crack cocaine on East Colfax. I didn't didn't come home or didn't go back to my uncle's house. I uh, showed up about three days later and it was 100% tough love. Like, we're not doing this. We know yep. what you put your parents through. We had a deal. Here's your bag. See ya. Mm -hmm. And um, I stayed with that girl for about a week. That didn't work out. And I went, I just went back to, I was craving more dope and I went mm -hmm. back to East Colfax. So now middle-class suburbia nice jewish boy from long island is now homeless on, on east, colfax. east colfax capitol hill in and, 1989 yeah summer of violence and stuff like that was going on like early 90s yep um and yeah i got my first experience of sleeping in a homeless shelter and eating cold pizza that was donated and and i just uh, was basically just ostracized from my family. Yeah. Um, you know, brother, sister, mother, father, aunt, uncle, just like like nobody to call. And I didn't go back. To, I called. I called my sponsor one day, and his his brother answered the phone. He's like, right. "Oh, I heard so much about you, and I heard had heard a lot about him." He, he had a, an issue with alcohol, and, and so I had heard a lot about him, and he said, yeah, my brother told me about you. I want to meet you, and, and um, I said, I'm down. I'm, in, I'm on East Colfax. I'm, I'm, I'm broken homeless, man. And he said, oh, let's go. I'll pick you up, and his brother wound up passing away, went in for like a routine operation, and like oh, man. died on the table. That was my sponsor. Yeah. So now, the other brother who's not in recovery, picks me up. Yeah. And, and, um, and that started about, you know, from, from 19 to, uh, to the age of 25, um, or basically about 24. It's when I met my first wife. 
Okay. I was on and off the I was on and off the streets of of Colfax and Five Okay. Points. Those were my stomping grounds, Capitol Hill. Yep. Um Yeah, and you know, that started my first uh misdemeanor arrests for trespassing, paraphernalia, getting, you know, being in raids at crack houses and, and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, that started, you know, my introduction into the Denver city jail and downtown detention center. Um, but I hadn't caught a felony yet. And then I met my first, and you know, that whole time I would, I was employable. If I could stay clean, I could always yeah. find a job. I worked mm -hmm. at Bally's, uh, on, on Colorado <laughs> Boulevard when that okay. place opened in 93. I remember got it. Sales, got into management. Got my first two-week paycheck and got back down East Colfax and lost yep. my job. Yeah. And I got it. You know, I'd always find a job. I'd always find a place to live, and then I would always screw it up because yep. I would take off. Soon as we get, soon as we, soon as Friday comes, and I had that cash in my hand. Yeah. I was unstoppable. Well, that was it. That was my cycle, and and you almost get like this sick sense of confidence that yeah, I can lose everything because I. I've done this before. Yeah. I know it's going to suck for like two weeks. I'm going to be jonesing and it's going to suck and I'm going to be broke and I'll be sleeping on somebody's couch. But within a week, I'll find a job and somehow I'll be back on my feet. Mm -hmm. This time it'll be different. You tell yourself, but it's never different if you don't do anything to, to change, right? If you don't Correct. do something different. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my life for a couple of years, a couple stays in the county jail um city jail that kind of stuff and i kind of got into like the adventure of it as far as um just you know no responsibility no mail no job nobody to answer to yeah. um i learned how to rob steal hustle on the streets and mm -hmm. you know you'd have a couple i know I, I know two nights a week i could get this dude to party and stay at that house I'd have a girl over at this town, you know, and yeah. I didn't really need a place to stay. Yeah. Um, then I met my first wife who had, who lived over off of federal Boulevard. Um, I was, I was dating a stripper who lived with her sister and then her okay. sister <laughs> was a stripper. Um, we all know back, the rule. Who <laughs> was back from Vegas and had a baby. Um, <laughs> But we we decided to stay together, and within five months, that that uh, little baby was calling me dad, and that's actually, you know, he's he's my son. I adopted him into my heart. Um, so we got we got married after five months, and I was still doing my. I still, it was the first time really that baby, my my son Austin, man, mm -hmm. he he, uh, you know, I had that, you know, it was. I loved her too. Don't get sure. me wrong, but I would take off and smoke, do what I do as a drug addict. Um, she'd be mad, kick me out. But that baby always gave me un unconditional love. He didn't yeah. know what I was doing. He exactly. just happened to see me. And so for the first time in my life, Dion, since, since I lost, like was separated and ostracized from my family. Since you were 19. Yeah, man, I got this, uh, this angel, well, they, the viewers can't see it, but mm -hmm. the angel on my neck, because I used to call my two sons uh, my angels, because I believe, like, like he saved my life, man, because I was, I started getting into dealing in Denver, and my, my wife at the time had a sister that lived up here on the Western Slope in Glenwood yep. Springs, and I didn't know where her or the baby were for, for like a couple weeks. Wow. And then I found them. They were up here. And she said, if you want to keep this together, like you got you to move up here. That's how I got introduced to church. She was going to church. Cool. And I started, I didn't really, you know, I didn't know anything about Christianity. I was just like, mm -hmm. okay, like whatever you want me to say or do, I'm, I'm down. I just yeah. don't want to lose my wife. I was in love with her. Yeah, you know, I love trying her. to do the right thing as a man. Yeah, yeah, but it was it was a very dysfunctional relationship. Yeah, and bless her heart, she was she was good to me. Um, I moved up here. I didn't know how to read a tape measure. Um, but I got a <laughs> you job just as a, as built a, on freaking. <laughs> I got a I got a job as a carpenter's helper. Good for and you, man. Bought some tools and started learning a trade. 
Um, and then I discovered working on these multi-million dollar houses up in Aspen. Now, mind you, I was only making $13 an hour, but that was back like in 95, yeah, yeah, that, 96. Yeah, that's pretty good money back then. Yeah, it was pretty good, you know, <laughs> for a knucklehead, right? Yeah. And uh, I started going to the bars up by Aspen, though, after work. And then I discovered, wow, there's cocaine all over this place. This is it wasn't crack. It was powder, but it was yeah. everywhere. Welcome to Aspen. Yeah. <laughs> a lot um, of drugs in Aspen. I got totally tweaked out one night. One night turned into like three nights. Yep. I didn't know uh. um, the cocaine that I was doing was cut with methamphetamine. Um, I was hallucinating. I thought the DEA was after me. Uh-huh. And in the middle of town one day in beautiful Aspen, Colorado, with tourists from all over the world, I just stopped and put my hands on top of my head because I thought there were snipers on top of the hotel. Mm-hmm. And I still had some coke in my pocket. And I thought if I reach into my pocket to get rid of it, they're going to blast me. Yeah. So I better, I was so scared that I just stopped on the sidewalk and put my hands on top of my head. Well, the friendly Aspen police department comes rolling by and they, they uh, I'll never forget the officer said, uh, excuse me, sir, is there any reason why you're standing there with your hands on top of your head? And I go, come on, man, you know what the fuck's going on. I go, it's because I got this cocaine in my pocket. And he said, you have cocaine? I said, yes, sir. He goes, do I have permission to search you? I said, yes, sir. Let's just take uh-uh. me to jail. And let's get this over with. Nope. And, and so the next day in the Aspen Times, it said, man gets wish goes to jail. So that's how I got my first felony. There's another piece of the puzzle for you, Dion. Uh, yeah. They were laughing at me in court. I'm sure that they I'm sure but, it wasn't know, funny to you shows, then, but That shows the insanity, right? It does. I mean, okay, that's twice now. Now you've been on TV and in the newspaper. Right. So now now my so my wife at the time was pregnant with my second son. Okay. Who I adore um, as well. And he was a blessing and he was totally, totally planned. Like we wanted to give, give our first son a little brother. And I was super excited. And now I have a felony case and I'm in jail. Probably if you're going to go to jail anywhere in America, Aspen's probably the place to go. Mm-hmm. Fully carpeted, coffee yep. machine, you know. So I, I did, I had it pretty good. Um, but long story short, just to fast forward, um, they let me out on a PR bond. Okay. I violated that probation five times, took wow. off from a halfway house. Okay. So by night, that was 1996 when I caught the case. By n- late 1997, I violated five times. Wow. I was back before the judge, and I got sentenced to DOC for two and a half years. Yeah. It was for less than half gram of cocaine, but you know he's like, I gave you every opportunity not yeah, to go to prison. Judges do not like it when you waste their time. Yeah. They do not like that. Yeah. Um, needless to say, I put my first wife through hell and back. God bless and, her heart, um, man. What's that? And I said, God bless her heart, man. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, she's. She's been only a wonderful mother to my two sons. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, thank goodness um, she was there for them despite my behavior. Yeah. Um, she divorced me going into prison or, or while I was in prison. I went to, so the first time, 1998, I went to Buena Vista. Okay. They call, they call Gladiator School. And um, I was in the buildings for a while. Um, and when I got out, you know, I was, I was close to 30 years old. I was probably, yeah, almost 30. And uh, I was, I paroled, you know, I was back on the streets and um, parents tried to help me out a little bit. That didn't work out. I relapsed. I went back to prison. Basically, fast forward from 98 till 2011, I was in and out of prison seven times. Okay. So 2011, and I was running hard. It was just like, I kind of just accepted the fate that um, I was going to 
spend the rest of my life in prison or OD, you know, on yeah. the streets. Yeah, you were just going to be a punk for the rest of your freaking yeah. life. Uh, you were just going to, yeah, I, I get it. I was selling drugs. I was selling drugs to survive, but never just like street level, just enough so I could always have a hotel room and, yeah, you know, car service and, and um, but of course I would always blow that. And I, I was on the streets, man. I stayed at Crossroads. I stayed at Jesus Saves. I hung out at the Triangle. Okay. I did all that, man. And, um, and not like off it, like, you know, I could go down there now and, and I would, people would recognize me and I would know people. Probably. Yeah. Unfortunately, some yeah. people are still out there, right? Yep. So, and being out in and out of prison, you know, when you get out, you see kind of the same people on the streets too. Yes. So anyways, yeah. So I, I kind of did the whole Canyon city tour. I was in a lot of different facilities. Wow. And, um, yeah, 2011. Oh, by the way, I should just add that, you know, during that time I had, uh, really, I dug in deep to the Bible and every time I thought I had it, I'd get released. I'd be on the streets and, and I'd relapse and I just couldn't figure out what I was missing. Sure. Um, I was still struggling with really with what faith is, at least for me. Okay. And, um, one, one, I had an escape case and I went to uh, Fort Lyons Correctional Facility where they had a special medical needs unit. It was kind of like territorial. Okay. They had most of the people. It was a hospice unit. It was pe- for people with disabilities. Okay. People that needed to be out of general population. Yep. Maybe they were in wheelchairs or whatever it may be. And they had a nursing program. And so I did, I did the uh, nursing program. Um, and then I worked for close to two years as a nurse's assistant in there, taking wow. care of taking care of sick inmates. Yeah, wow. and it, it, it those were two. You know, Dion. Seriously, you know that was like 2006, 2008. Okay, those were two of the best years of my life. Yeah, because I was of service. Exactly, I was taking care of people. Felt and, good about and, um, yourself, you know. We and we talked about that a little bit earlier too, right before we were coming on. You had a sense of accomplishment. You were being accountable, and that right there can change things for you. Yeah, give you you know that sense of purpose. Um, and it was just real interesting, man. It really woke me up to. Um, I actually wrote an article about it, and it about. How do I want to, it made me ask myself, how do I want to spend the rest of my days? Yeah. Cause I, I got close to a couple men in there, you know, taking care of them. Yeah. One guy had a brain tumor. I mean, he was gone like in two months, you yeah. know, you come in, come into work and there's a black curtain over the, oh. over his cell door. Yeah. You know, they're just, his body's in there and they're just waiting for the morgue to Lord come in the town to pick corner. it up. Yeah. So I saw, you know, Couple got one guy had you know uh, hepatitis, uh-huh. uh, liver disease, all sorts of brain cancers. I, uh, you know, but I got to. There was one man that just had dementia. You know, he was eighty six and been in prison uh-huh. his whole life. And I take him in the out in his wheelchair around the yard and stuff yeah. like that. You know, just it really uh, touched my soul. And and I was praying with guys and and. Um, yeah, that was like a turning point in my life. But I, w- I had gotten out that time. Uh, okay. I guess it was like about 2009, 2008, 2009. I went to the Stout Street Clinic. I was homeless. I was down at Crossroads. Okay. I went to Stout Street Clinic, group therapy, uh, AA meetings, church, and um, was un- I'm duly diagnosed, bipolar, PTSD. I was on medications okay. for a while. Um and then I got a housing voucher through Stout Street. So I had a place in Five Points. Um, and, but then I met a woman from Stout Street <laughs> who was a drug addict too. And um, violated my parole, mm-hmm. went back to prison. So I had like, I had those two years in Fort Lyons and about another year clean. So I had about three years clean. Okay. And I just couldn't believe I was back in prison. That was 2011. They sent me back for the last five weeks of my parole, man. Wow. And I just thought, I don't ever want to do this again. Like, I I can't believe. And it was. It was over. 
you know, I wanted affection. I wanted sex. I wanted, um, I compromised my recovery for all that. Yeah, I went against all my counselors' recommendations. Don't yep. get in a relationship. Don't do this. Don't. Do and they this. and they told you why. Yeah, you know, they're like, totally. you don't have anything to offer this person. Why are you? Yeah. yeah totally. <laughs> totally. You know. So um. So lesson learned. You know. Yeah. I, I joke today that I'm a slow learner. I, I had to go to prison seven times Me to figure too. it out. But. Yep. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, fast forward. So that was 2011. My two sons who basically was not there for most of their life were uh, 15 and 17 by that time. Wow. Okay. In, in Yeah. Uh, and living, living in Glenwood Springs. Okay. And I just, I was off paper. I was off parole for the first time in like over a decade. Wow. And I was homeless, 40 years old, homeless, broke. Um, and my mom said, what are you going to do? And I, I said, I'm going to, my Austin's about to graduate high school and, and, and Alex is in 10th grade. I want to do everything I can to try to rekindle a relationship with them. So yep. I don't care if I got to live in the woods, but I'm not staying in Denver. I'm not, I can't do this again. Yeah. I know not in Denver. Happen. Yeah. And it's not Denver. It was me, but I, I just, yeah, I get I it. But still, cycle. but why not give yourself every chance that you can get to yeah, be amen. successful? So, yeah. So there, there was a hostel up here, and by that time, I had gotten on SSI. Okay. I was, I was got in the through the prison system. They got me because of my meds and because I'd been out of the workforce for so long. I worked with uh, Department of Vocational Rehab, so I came to Glenwood Springs, broken okay. homeless, forty years old. I stayed at a hostel. Bed was like thirty-five bucks a night. Yep. And I went to two-hour group therapy twice a week for duly diagnosed group. Yep. Individual counseling. Went to church, was on fire for the Lord, and um, yeah, and and the common bond they had my my boys were into boxing and wrestling, and so there was a kickboxing class at this local gym. Okay. Now I had taken a Krav Maga class. Krav Maga is a Israeli self-defense hand-to-hand combat that they teach the Israeli military. Yeah. I actually started that in Denver. Uh huh. The, the last time, right before those those. That year I was clean going to Stout Street Clinic. I wanted like a health, healthy outlet. And I always yeah. had this dream of being a black belt as a kid. It just wasn't in the cards for me. So I had about six weeks of classes in Denver. And then I moved up to Glenwood. Okay. So I saw this kickboxing class and I asked my boys if I paid for the class and bought them some gear, would they come hang out? I was just trying to get them to hang out. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you can imagine they don't want to hang out with their dad. They got girlfriends. and Yeah. You know, they're trying to get their first vehicles and all that yeah. stuff. So, um, yeah, but we started training together and working out. And that was, you know, there's a lot of water under the bridge. But that was the beginning of rekindling the re- relationship, which was real yep. powerful for me. And um, I wanted to pursue Krav Maga. And there was nowhere to take classes up here or to, or to uh, there was nobody teaching it. And having been in the health and fitness industry for so long, I just, I thought if I could figure out how to get a certification, an instructor certification and find an organization that'll work with me, even though I'm a felon, because they do gun disarms. Yeah. Um, part of the black belt test is being, getting your concealed carry and knowing how to oh, handle a and, firearm. So if you fantastic. take a firearm from somebody, you know how to use it. Yep. And that, you know, as a felon, I can't possess a firearm, but I, I found an organization that was out okay. of state. And so with through Volk Rehab, I got a grant okay. um, to buy tools. As a, I went back to work as a carpenter, started okay. my own little construction company, was framing houses. And then the money that I made from that, I flew to uh, Kentucky, Texas, Florida uh, to pursue my Krav Maga training. And Good my, for you, my, uh, man. And I started a class. I specifically started a class here in Glenwood Springs once uh-huh. I got my first instructor cert. Just so I would have, it wasn't about the money. It was just so I would have other people to train with so I could get better to get to the next level. Yep. And so I started a class that started first in my backyard. And then I started at the community center. Uh-huh. And I got, I started a logo and got on Facebook. And um, then my, my instructor uh, let me, made an exception. The only thing I didn't do in the training was was the actual shooting 
part okay. on the range, but he let me do the law enforcement officer, Krav Maga instructor training as a felon. Cool. So I, trained, I went to Florida and trained with all these cops for about a week. And then in 19, or I'm sorry, 19, 2016, um, at 46 years old, I, I uh, got my black belt. Wow. And, Congratulations. Um, Great job. Thanks. And, and, you know, with that, I went to um, 2015. Some guys in Argentina saw me. I got on a book cover, a Krav Maga book cover with my instructor. Uh, uh -huh. And so they, I worked out a deal. That was an adventure of a lifetime. I do not speak Spanish. My host did not speak English. And I told him, I said, if you buy me a ticket, they didn't really have too much money either. The economy was different down there, obviously. Yeah. And, and um, times were tough. And I said, if you buy me a ticket, I'll come down there. I'll do it for free. Just get me there. And, and, um, and they did. And I slept, I slept on this kid's mother's house. And I did a five-hour weapon defense seminar and, and did a four-day instructor course. Um, and it, it got me into the Martial Arts Hall of Fame in Argentina in 2015. Oh. And then, yeah, 2019, last year, I got inducted into the United States Martial Arts Hall of Fame. And, and um, wow. now I have, ten, I have 10 affiliates across the United States. And uh, I have two in Europe, Sweden and uh, Netherlands. I've been, I've been, I've traveled quite a bit teaching. You are on countries. fire, Gabe. That is so, that is so awesome. And you've written a book too, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, so that, yeah, thanks. I, uh, yeah, might as well plug it. We're on here, it's man. Called, it's called the pit, it's called Pit Bull Bouncer. Like uh -huh. the pit bull, the um, yeah, man, I tried to get a job. I wanted to be a bodyguard, and I thought maybe with my black belt and Krav Maga would open some doors. Well, nobody would hire me. No security company in their right mind is going to hire a three time felon that's yeah. been seven times. Uh, but I finally found, you know, it's a numbers game, right? You're not yeah. enough doors. Um, if anything, I can say that like perseverance, tenacity, you know, just never give up, you know, that there's always, and, and, you know, today I'm, I'm preaching and it's like, God opens up doors, man. will tell you won't open to you. God yeah. can open up anything. Mm -hmm. And so I found, I found a, a, a former police officer that was from back East living in Colorado Okay. And he's like, I don't, he goes, I don't, he goes, I need somebody that can regulate. I need somebody that, that, that can get down. I don't care if you're a felon. I have this nightclub down in Grand Junction. That's, that's like roadhouse, man. And if yeah. you're willing to go down there. <laughs> roadhouse. Yeah. He told me it was only 13 bucks an hour, man. And it's 70 miles each way from my house. Wow. But I did it. Yeah. Because, because that's I what you wanted to do. Yeah. You, wanted, that's well, how you get it on my resume. Right. Yeah. Cause once I, so anyways, I, yeah, I was working full-time construction. I would drive on the weekends down to this bar, you know, bounce. We were pretty much fighting every weekend, <laughs> but, uh, but it was good Facebook material too. So I really yeah. think they called me the pit bull cause I was pretty aggressive. I was much more aggressive back then than I am today. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it's called the pit bull bouncer, uh, nightclub, uh, uh, for nightclub managers and, and uh, security professionals, you can find it on Amazon, Gabe Cohen, Pitbull Bouncer. Um, yeah, so I did a, I did Surviving the Bar Fight seminar in the Netherlands last year. Some guys flew me wow. over there for that. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so, um, but, you know, a couple years ago, Dion, thanks for the plug, man. Yeah. A couple years ago, I started feeling empty inside. Um, I was working at nightclubs. Okay. High end, like, um, you know, celebrities, rappers, uh, when they come to town, I, they'd call me, you know, I've worked some high end tables Cool. and, um, cocaine was everywhere. And I started functionally using a couple years ago. Okay. Um, well, yeah, about four years ago again, and I was trying to get this book published. The book came out in 2018. And I knew I had a problem. I knew it was getting the better of me again. Yep. I knew it was getting better of me again. But I didn't want to quit the nightclub. I was making really good money. I mean, I told you I started at 13 bucks an hour, driving yeah. 70 miles. You know, and, and I could, I had people handing me $100 bills some nights, yeah, you know, tipping. working these tables and stuff. Yeah. 
plus I was made, you know, I, I charge, I have a much different rate now because I'm, I'm internationally recognized in the martial arts community. Good for you, man. But I say all that to say that I used, so this was back like late, uh, well, the early 2018, um, I relapsed and my kidney shut down and I was hospitalized for six days. Okay. I had rhabdomyolysis, which is uh, toxicity in your, in your, in your blood and it, it uh -huh. shuts down your kidney function. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know if I was going to walk out of the hospital, man. They were waiting to see if my, if it would function by itself. Um, and I was pretty scary. And uh, I had just, I had just volunteered. I just got accepted as a volunteer with the, with the Garfield County Sheriff's Department to come into the jail and do, I started a ministry called Kings and Priests Ministry. You can find that on Facebook yep. as well, um, about two and a half years ago. Uh, but I was still working at the nightclub. Okay. And I was still, I was still on that fence. And yeah. I knew I couldn't be on both sides of the fence. And I feel like God put me in the hospital and said like, this is your last shot, man. This is it. This is it. Like you need to choose. Yeah. So got back, got back on into recovery. And, and, um, now I'm, I mean, uh, I mean, Eagle County jail, Garfield County jail with my Bible study, um, weekly. And, uh, I discovered the recovery. I wanted to work with the recovery court clients and they told me go to this peer coaching thing, this recovery <laughs> coach training. And that's where we met. Yeah. And, um, I got the recovery coach certification. I've been volunteering. So I took two years off. I quit doing security work. I quit okay. construction. All I was doing was volunteer work and just doing my Krav Maga at night. Okay. I, have a do I have a dojo here too in Glenwood Springs. All right. So I was teaching classes at night. I was doing fundraisers. I also, I was part-time. I was teaching fourth and fifth graders at, at one of the elementary schools. I just okay. had a couple part-time gigs and, and some private clients. It was enough to keep me afloat, but I was doing volunteer work in the jails. And then also there was a nonprofit organization uh, wages that was working okay. out of the parole department here at the Western Slope. So I was volunteering for them, taking guys to get their medications, taking them shopping for clothes or tools and just being of service. I really yeah. found like, I just have this call. I just felt this calling to be of service. And when I, when I'm of service to other people, it, it makes me feel good about me. And it gives, it gives meaning to my past. I can share my experience with others and let them know mm -hmm. that there's hope that this is doable. Yeah. You know, and, um, doing the volunteer work at the pro department, I found out they lost their treatment provider, mm. um, right before Ouch. COVID hit. Ouch. So like, you know, dozens of people on parole in this county yeah without substance use disorder classes um or one-on-one -on -one counseling and i asked the parole department how does one apply to become a treatment provider uh the parole manager was very gracious and walked me through the application process wow. and believe it or not i um i am an approved treatment provider today for colorado department of corrections and I have the entire caseload for Garfield County. Um, wow. I, I'm going to give partner. a round of applause on that one, man. That is fucking cool. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a CAC 2. I can't teach the classes, but yeah. I found a CAC 2 in my AA group. Yeah. I said, dude, I need a teacher. I can pay you so much a night. And um, I've since hooked up with another company. We spoke about this before. But um, now I'm able to provide Medicaid. Uh -huh. And so... Now I can provide my recovery coach services through my clients at the pro department. I pay somebody to teach the pro department classes. Basically, I just yeah. kind of harness the business and put it together. But yeah. yeah, what a blessing to be of service now. So county jails, community corrections, all that. Um, that is that is fantastic, and that is you know, <laughs> it's so neat because you know, got it. How do I say that? Watching somebody go from, or hearing somebody go Thanks, from Dion. being on the streets. Literally, right? Literally. 
Yeah, I mean, every you, night for years is now a stand-up person in the community. Okay? And I keep it real, dude. I don't. I tell them, like, I, I made changes. In 2011, I decided I was going to do everything I could to change my life. Now, does yeah. that mean I've been sober since 2011? No. And I think there's power. There's great power in, in sharing your brokenness and your humility. Yes. When I go into jail, I tell them, like, I was already approved as a volunteer, and I relapsed. So I, I keep it real. I let them know that, like, I only got – I'm back in recovery the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, but – and if and sometimes if you relapse in the past, I would just give up everything and say, well, yeah. I guess this isn't meant to be. Yeah. And, you know, you got you to gotta pick yourself – you have to have that support system in place, though. I yeah. wouldn't have been able to do it if I hadn't done that work. Mm-hmm. So – yeah, yeah man, that, thanks for your for your kind words. Thank you. Most certainly. And thank you again for being on the show and sharing your story. Um, I know it talks for a while. Thanks. <laughs> no. That's why I love that. That's why we love this open forum, though. You never know. I mean, some people's stories are 20 minutes, some people and then you got old farts like us, and you know. We did a little we did a little bit more. <laughs> so Well, you can chop it up any way you feel fit, too. Oh, I, you right. know. That's fine. <laughs> Um, so yeah, thank you for being on, um, and thank you everybody for listening and and being a, a part of. Um, you know, there were a couple of things that got caught in here. Um, number one, sometimes we have people in our lives that love us until we learn to love ourselves, and sometimes those are ex-wives. Um, they might be different people. Um, being honest with other people with where you were at when you were saying that at the end, I believe that's, you know, we have to, be, we have to be honest with ourselves. And when we're honest with ourselves and we can be honest with other people, but more than anything, I hope everybody got hope out of this, knowing that you can come back and that you can be a success and you can be a miracle. And by listening to these stories, hopefully you can avoid some of the mistakes we made. So All right, guys, that will be it for today. Um, Thank you, everybody, for being a part of. Gabe, thank you for being here. Thank you, Dion. Most certainly. I love you all. Peace out and have a day.